And he said, with Oshun, you realize that honey is the knife. That with her, she cuts through sweetness. Welcome, welcome to this sacred and magical day in the African Goddess Initiation Summer Festival 2021. I am your host, Aviola Abrams. And of course, we are also celebrating my new book, African Goddess Initiation, Sacred Rituals for Self-Love, Prosperity, and Joy. Now, you've probably been seeing, because we're filming out of order, you've been seeing this, which is the mock-up of the book. But today, I have actually the actual book. So I can show you the goddess that we are honoring in this conversation. We are honoring goddess Oya, also known as Yansa, mother of nine. And in that regard, we are having a sacred conversation with one of her daughters, my beautiful sister who I connected with over social media. She's so dynamic and her personality just leaps off of the screen in how she presents her voice visually. And she is also so talented with words. I am talking about Hannah Echo, who is the author of Honey is the Knife. Let me tell you about her new book. All right, so whether describing an existential body image crisis in Bikram Yoga Studio, dissecting racism as a lifetime movie villain, embracing anxiety during a Black Madonna pilgrimage, or reclaiming Yoruba cosmology and the divine feminine. Debut author, Hannah Echo, bravely connects a singular life to the universal truths of compassion and acceptance in her first collection of essays, which I urge and encourage you to order today. I have to go and put my review. I didn't, I just realized I didn't put my review. I wanna put my review on Amazon because it's that good. Equally a work of provocative cultural criticism, a disruptor of the self-help genre and journey of self-discovery. Honey is the knife is an initiation into a life of happy contradiction where we thank our failures, dance with our pain and where honey is the only knife we need. Welcome to this sacred conversation, Goddess Hannah. Thank you so much for having me here. I feel very honored and like I said, hell to be here. So thank you so much. Well, your presence is like, like my description of you, like right now, folks who are looking at you, you did not disappoint. We've got the beautiful glitter in the background and the bright primary colors, even the chair that you're, you're sitting on is a work of art. How did you come to be so, so conscious of your creativity and your creative expression and deliberate about your own personal magic? I think for myself, um, like within the book, Honey's and I, I talk about, for me, the heart of it is, is transformation. So it's transforming like knives into honey and honey into knives. And so for me, I feel like I came to a lot of creativity through some pain and through some, some aspects in my early life, which as a child where I felt very stifled. 
And so creativity, whether that was drawing or it was um, just creating new worlds and that was just like in my head or on the page was always a place that was so freeing for me. And even though I was often in these places in my life where the environment, the external environment wasn't always the most conducive to being creative, that was the place that I would constantly return to. So I think now I'm in a space where it's becoming much more of my every day and much, it's just, it's, it's becoming so much more fluid and not segregated to this, like this, um, just like a small place, I guess, becoming my entire life. But that's, I feel like that's how I came into, into this space. Mm, that makes a lot of sense. And I think that's important to talk about that. Although, you know, we are from peoples who, you know, creativity is in, in, in our veins and in the way that we do everything, but still when you're a child of an immigrant experience, creativity isn't necessarily encouraged in this kind of a way. Can you speak to what your experience has been with that and, and your experience as being a first generation, you know, American, first generation Nigerian American daughter? I think like when I look at families and so many of us who are like first geners, um, we come from families who had to survive. And when your life is predicated and built on survival, there are some other um, elements of our development that take a back seat. So if you think of like, you know, Maslow's like hierarchy of needs, right? Your basics are still in jeopardy. It's very hard for you to then be in the realm of like creativity. So definitely like when I was young, I mean, I wanted to be a film director. That, that was like my golden goal when I was in high school and I ended up going to military school. <laughs> so it was a very, very different world. But I took that road because that was what my family wanted at the time. And it was, most um, practical aspect. And I think for so many of us, our lives, especially especially our early lives, were ruled by a lot of practicality. Um, and so that's why I think even it connects to that aspect of, yes, like we come from these rich cultures, but when we are, when we migrate, our creativity maybe is um, expressed in other means and doesn't, maybe it's a little too scary sometimes to take that jump into becoming our livelihood. But I feel like now, I mean, I feel like I, I see this trajectory in so many people's lives too, where it's like, you do the thing, you do the kind of boring thing, you do the school thing, and it's great. I mean, yeah, I think it gives you solid foundation and discipline and all kinds of things. But then there comes a time where you're like, I can't keep doing this if I really want to live. And you take that jump. Um, and that was definitely something that happened for me. Like at 29, I was like, I had spent six years after duty in the Coast Guard and I was like, this is it. You know, I, I can't, if I really want to express myself as who I am and what's coming through me, that's not even just me, I have to leave um, and really pursue that. So here we are. Here <laughs> we are. <laughs> and what has been the reaction of your loved ones, of your family? I think they've come around. That was, I think, the more surprising thing was just how supportive my family's been. Um, since I made that jump, I remember I was terrified to tell my dad. I told him like months, like a mere months before I was leaving the Coast Guard. And I had been in military school for years before that. So like to keep that. But then I remember he got me this really nice card. And my dad is someone who reads greeting cards very carefully to see like they, they match of who he's sending them to. And also... My, I wouldn't say my family's incredibly sentimental. 
So for them to be so supportive and to just like keep encouraging me, um, definitely my sister has always been that person for me. Like when I felt alone, when I feel alone, she's always been the one that like, you have a story to tell, keep going. Uh, so I feel like it is there. It's definitely, I see it more in my wider family, especially since there are, I have such talent in my extended family that there are so many people, so many of us who are doing the same thing, like really trying to go now for our dreams. So yeah, they've come around. Thank God. <laughs> yeah. And that's beautiful because you are then, I'm sure, a pioneer and a beacon of light, not only for, you know, the, the next generation coming in your family, but also just for other people who, you know, you may never know their name who are watching and are saying, wow, okay, if she can do that, then I can do that as well. Mm -hmm. Yes, yes. And so tell us about the journey then to writing this book of essays. You are a bibliophile that is, you know, unabashed about her love of books. And so let's talk about your journey to becoming an author. Have you always been a writer? I've been, I would say since I was, I've always been writing stories or not always. I think I would maybe say since like third grade. Um, I was always entering contests and almost never winning, um, but I would enter anyways and I would, but no matter what, no matter where I've been, I will say I've always been a writer. I've always, even if it was like journals, I have, I don't know how many journals I have, maybe hundreds of journals, um, because it was that important to me, especially in places like military school where there wasn't that room for creativity. Um, and so after I left the Coast Guard, that was when I was deciding, like, I was really going to pursue writing. Like, I was really going to go for it. So I enrolled in a graduate program specifically dedicated for writing. And then through that world, I feel like the world was just so, like, there were options that I had no clue about that were suddenly available. But that was definitely the first, that was like the big, like, okay, wow, there's this whole entire literary existence that I had no clue about, uh, and I still feel like I'm still discovering, um, even as I've been in it for a couple of years now. What encouraged you to start your bookstagram practice of posing these beautiful, you know, works of art, photos of you holding different books? I think because first of all, like books to me are so beautiful. Like some, some I mean, we all know, like there's some covers that maybe, you know, the book designer wasn't really all that. <laughs> Maybe, or maybe the author wasn't that interested in, but I love like the care that people take for book covers mm -hmm. and how sometimes they speak to what's going on inside the book and sometimes they don't. And um, I think it started because I, I'm obsessed with Wonder Woman and I had a Wonder Woman costume and I was reading a book that was about Wonder Woman. So I was like, oh, this would be kind of a cute like little thing to pair together. And so I started to do that. I haven't done as much lately, but I still really enjoy I enjoy fashion and style as a, another tool of creativity. So pairing that with the beauty of book covers, which is like another, it's like another way to like pay homage to that mm -hmm. and pay like respect to the author's creation. So. I remember being, you know, so excited by these works of art that you were creating with you and the book and being like, yeah, chocolate girl like me and look what she's doing that I was like, I had to get you a copy of Dare because I was like, I, so, and now I have to get you a physical copy of African Goddess Initiation because I, it's just magical and beautiful and your 
your energy really comes through. And so I don't know if you want to put, if you said you put filmmaking on the back burner, but you definitely have an eye and you're obviously an avid storyteller. So you may want to continue to think about that as an avenue. Oh, yes. thank you. Yes, and a means of expression. So tell us about the title, Honey is the Knife. So the title came when uh, I was at the University of Pittsburgh studying writing and they had this scholarship where you can go and study abroad for a couple for weeks. And so I applied to go to Nigeria, which is again, like my ancestry. And I'd never been to Nigeria before, before that. So um, I was um, blessed enough to, to receive it. And so I was reading a lot about Oshun because my intention was to really study the feminine deities of the, or, the Orisha and the Ifa tradition, Ifa tradition. And so um, during the time I was going, it happened to be that the Oshun festival was occurring. So I was reading a lot about Oshun and I was reading this book, um, things like Oshun Across the Waters. And it's a book about how Oshun has both changed and stayed, stayed the same as she's migrated from Nigeria to Cuba, to Brazil, to, um, to the US around the world and the things that, how these different traditions have both changed Oshun and not. And it's just like such a beautiful testament to the things that we keep to sustain us when we're going through intense pain, um, which people, you know, African people who were enslaved had to do and did do in such a beautiful way. So uh, there's a part in, the, in that book where um, an artist says, um, when it, he used to have a, a altar to Oshun in his New York studio. And he said, with Oshun, you realize that honey is the knife. That with her, she cuts through sweetness. And as someone who was like very, is still very invested in like healing, I was starting to see that there are ways in which I was going about healing myself that were actually hurting me more and were contributing more to my pain. Like, I was like, you know, I, I get that you're going to go through <laughs> the underworld in some ways and the unconscious and the shadow, and that's not always comfortable, but there are things I was doing that I was like overwhelming myself and causing myself great, um, great hurt. And it just, that thought process of, using honey, using kindness, using our sweetness to heal, um, both on an individual and collective basis was so powerful for me. And I remember like, I circled it and I was like, oh, inspiring. And at first the collection was called something entirely else. And I was scared I was gonna get sued because I used a celebrity's name. So I'm like, okay, I think I need a different title. And maybe, because June- Maybe Beyonce something? <laughs> Wyclef. And it was like, oh, you know, I might get sued. Like, I don't know, but <laughs> it, there's a chapter in the book called Thank You, White Club. I was like, if someone's name was on the book and that wasn't actually the heart of it anyways. So then um, when I realized again that the book is really about transformation and that Honey is a Knife is about transformation, that's when it really came together for me. And those words, it was just like, I also love that it piques curiosity um, and to kind of, again, it's like a gesture for me to think about, okay, how can I move towards like making my healing pleasurable? It doesn't have to be painful all the time. 
because it was already painful to get to this point. I don't think I should bring myself more pain or more pain on the house um, collectively. So that is, that's the gist of Hanez and I. Well, you just confirmed something for me. I'm sitting here and my hands are shaking because right before I interviewed you, I'm doing these interviews, you know, for you who are watching, you're watching it in order, but I'm doing them out of order um, based on, you know, everyone's schedule. Right before I interviewed you, Goddess Hannah, I interviewed Dr. Michelle Ya Asantewa, who is based in the UK and she's from my family's country, Guyana. She wrote a book about Mami Wata um, through the diaspora, similar to the book that you're talking about. One of the things that she and I spoke about in the interview is a collaboration. She's been doing the Oshu Noshokbo Festival um, in the UK as an offshoot of the Nigerian festival. And we talked about it being global with me doing it in New York. And as one of Oshun's daughters, and I'm wearing her honey today, uh, coincidentally, um, I just had that conversation an hour ago. And so what you're saying for me, unbeknownst to you, is just complete alignment and magic and validation. And I love when the divine shows the hand that way. Mm -hmm. and the goddess is like, hey, this is what you're doing. <laughs> this is what this you're is doing. Beautiful. I mean, just... See that, and I think that's again still speaking to Oshun's power. Mm -hmm. That and she's so loved and adored around the world, and for a reason, for a very deep reason. So to bring her into that sphere, I think would be so, like, so enriching, so neat, and it's so needed. It 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 will happen. It is done. Ashe, it's done. And so you're going to have to either go to the UK Fest mm -hmm. or come to the Fest in New York. You're going to have to be maybe there. I'll do, I'll do, that again? I said, maybe I'll do both. I don't know. Do both. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. And so this beautiful book that you have created, what has been the reaction and the feedback just in general? I know that, you know, it can be scary to put yourself out there on the page, literally. What mm -hmm. has been the feedback, the reaction, the thoughts? Uh, I feel like I've gotten or received a lot of definitely positive affirmation. I mean, it's not widely in the world yet, so that's like the nervous, uh, scary thing, but at least through the people I've shared it with, I've just received such love and such a validation for what I, like at least was setting out to do with that book. Um, and that's been such a beautiful, like full circle moment of the like, okay, I'm gonna do this thing. And then like, oh, it's a lot harder than I thought it was. And oh, this is hard, this is hard. And then done but it's not really done. And now people are gonna see it. And so to have love come back through that circle um, of people being like, you did this in a year during a pandemic um, has been really, really affirming because I, that book was written through a lot of pleasure, but some, there is pain. And I'm writing about very tough things in that book. So to receive that, it's been really beautiful. Honey is literally the knife and <laughs> you ended up yeah. with Perfect, the perfect title. I can't imagine it now named anything else at all. Um, before we go, I want to talk about uh, Goddess Oya. You mentioned that you felt in alignment not only with Oshun, but also with Goddess Oya. 
Can you speak a bit more about that? So Goddess Oya was the first, um, or like, I would say feminine Orisha that I really encountered through Terrell Alvin McCraney's brother-sister plays. And I remember being like, who are these god and goddesses? And how did I not know about them? And I'm actually Yoruba. Like, it just seemed absurd, but I was so grateful for it. And she's a character, like, he does this modern retelling of these tales, these old folklore tales. And so she's a major character. And I looked her up and they're like, oh, she's, they sometimes describe her as the woman who would grow a beard on account of war. And she's Shango's like consort and she's like powerful and that she's constantly, she's like the deity, like when you think about like feminist ideals, like she's a deity that's very associated with like African feminism. And so immediately, of course, she like totally appealed to me. Um, and I was very connected to her. And I even, um, my mom wasn't ent entirely thrilled because like there's still like weirdnesses about um you know our own spiritualities but I got this statuette of her and I um, had it in my apartment in Brooklyn and after uh, after like a couple of weeks I'm like maybe I shouldn't have this in my house like my mom doesn't like it and I'm not really an initiate like am I also paying this kind of superficial homage to this deity so I put a note on her on the statuette and I was like you know whoever finds this May it bring love and protection. And, you know, I'm giving this away with my heart. And I put her outside. Like, if you ever walk around New York, people put out things to be, like, taken. And I come out, like, 10 minutes later, she's gone. And I was like, all right. Okay, you know, someone, whoever, whoever receives her is going to receive her with love. And then literally, like, two or three days later, I come into my apartment. <laughs> and she's right there in the like vestibule of my apartment building and like I know she wasn't there when I came in that day like I don't know if someone saw me putting her out but it was just and after that I was like I can never give her away like she's she came back to me I was like I tried to give her to someone who needed love and protection and she came back to me so for me that like I feel like her energy is one that I really um think about when I'm thinking about stepping into my feminine as a power, as a strength, um, because I don't think, I think the idea that to be powerful, you have to be in your masculine. I mean, sometimes, but I also think there's a very powerful outward energy of the feminine as well. And to me, that's what she personifies. And she's this very sensitive, justice oriented uh, power. So, um, yeah, that's my relation to her. I still, you know, again, as much as I love Oshun and um, Oya was like my first, like I said, introduction. I did a zine fully dedicated to her when I was living in Portland. Um, and yeah, she'll always be definitely one of the goddesses that I constantly come back to. She is known as the Orisha who goes before her husband. And I knew when you were telling that story that somehow I, I thought you were going to say that a friend it was a friend who picked it up and brought her back into your house. I was like, she's not gonna, you can't get rid of her just that easily. I was like, I know there's a way she found her way back <laughs> into your house. So I love that you shared that with us. And before we go, actually, last question, I wanna touch on something that you said that I think is important, which is that a lot of people assume that if you are, you know, Yoruba or Ashanti, or, you know, that if you have a more of a direct connection, 
to the motherland that you have already been, you know, practicing our traditional spirituality. And they don't realize that, you know, the same way that throughout the diaspora that we were robbed of our own spirituality, that the same thing happened to us on the continent. Mm-hmm. And the same fears and um, demonization of our own spirituality also took place. Uh, is there anything that you want to add about that, about you daring to, you know, to look for the divine feminine, you know, in alignment with your own traditional spirituality that was foreign to you? Mm-hmm. In I think I would say like, there's even a section I have. Um, so Honey's Knife has like 200 footnotes where I like nerd out on like politics and uh, socialization forces and um, art and all kinds of like little, like where my mind just like goes on these little odds and ends. But I have this point where I talk about black, like black magic and the demonization of our magic and how when we're separated from our magic, we're separated from our power. And it's, it's, it was a tool, like it's always a tool to separate um, because people who don't know themselves are less powerful. And it's really unfortunate and sad because growing up, um, I didn't hear these stories. Um, I did not like when I like, I remember joking with a family member. I was like, oh, I really love um, Eshu. Like I feel kind of close to like trickster energy. And they're like, ah, you want to be aligned with the devil? And I was like, I'm pretty sure he's not the devil, but you know, that's like, and I'm like, you grew up in Nigeria, right? Like that, this is your, this is, I mean, it's my history, but like you would imagine that it would be more close, but it's not because that, I think again, like not only was it a fear separating people from their magic, people were punished by death and ostracization. So that fear of being caught with this is still with us. Um, And I think it's again, so unfortunate because we see that like these other spiritualities have been embraced and lauded in like mainstream conversations and African spirituality is still kind of like, oh, I don't know about that one. <laughs> like that one's a little too much. And I think it's, that's why I truly believe it's important for us to take ownership of it in a way that works for us. For some people, it's becoming an initiate and going into it in that way. For others of us, it's like incorporating it up in, uh, incorporating these energies into our spirituality or herbalism. Like my sister's an herbalist and really works with those energies. And for some of us, it's intellectual um, and we study, but I think um, removing or like at least again, transforming that fear into like love and esteem because these stories have so much to bring to us now if we will only like look. And I feel like Oshun stories are so intricate and so needed to explain where like black women and women of the African diaspora are and how we can grow and transform. Um, And for so many years, I knew more about Greek mythology than I ever knew about my own mythology. I didn't know really I had a mythology, right? But I could tell you everything about, I remember being in sixth grade and I'd be like, oh, that, and watching the Hercules movie and knowing like who was who. I, if you would ask me who Oshun or Ogun was at that time, I would have no idea. I have zero idea. So I think it's just been such a, it's, it's sad in some ways or bittersweet that it's a later reclamation, but I'm just glad that the path 
led me here. And I feel like the more I stay on this goddess path, the more it leads me to the goddess that fully reflects the entirety of like who I am. So. Amen, Ashay. And so it is goddess. That is beautiful, goddess Hannah. I have enjoyed this conversation so much. <laughs> thank you so much. Say again. I said thank you so much for having me and for your beautiful book. I cannot wait to have it. You will get it soon, my sister. I'm going to mail you a copy out of the box that I just received. And I will uh, let the record show. I hate going to the post office. I hate it. But <laughs> I'm being commanded to mail you this physical copy of this book. So I will get this to you. And thank you for sharing your gifts with the world. And I, I can't wait to see what you do, not only with Honey is the Knife, but with everything that comes next. Thank you so much. I truly <laughs> And thank you so much for watching. Definitely get Honey is the Knife. You can get it while you're ordering African Goddess Initiation and have all of that goddess energy to yourself. I will see you in the next conversation. Saubona. That means we see you. Bye.